Hello, and welcome to Moving Markets by Julius Baer. Please listen to the important legal information at the end of this podcast. Good morning. My name is Roman Canziani. I'm an investment writer at Julius Baer and your host for today's program. And as usual, I will start with a short market wrap. Well, the mood on financial markets remains fragile at best ahead of Thursday's all-important US inflation data, as plenty of traders make the case for another 75 basis point rate hike uh, if the data come in hotter than expected. However, there were somewhat different flavors in terms of communication coming from the Federal Reserve yesterday, with Vice Chair Lyle Brainard laying out the case for caution, noting that previous rate increases are still working through the economy, and Chicago Fed President Charles Evans saying that he would like to quickly get to a point where policymakers can feel comfortable pausing in order to reduce the risk of overshooting. Nevertheless, US Treasury markets, which remained shot yesterday for cash trading, are trending down this morning, with 10-year yields moving sharply higher, trading around the 4% handle, up about 12 basis points over the last hours. The US equity market also started the week on a back foot, with the S&P 500 index falling 0.7%, with only four out of its 11 sectors ending the day in the green. Those four sectors were industrials, uh, consumer staples, materials and utilities, all up by 0.3% and less. Laggards yesterday were energy, tech and real estate. The main topic was the US administration's decision to curb China's access to US semiconductor technology, which weighed heavy on the sector's global value and also spilled over into the currency market, driving down the value of the Korean won, the Taiwan dollar, and also the Chinese yuan, which was further pressured on news that is considered too unlikely that China will loosen its COVID zero policy after the Chinese Communist Party Congress this month. The US dollar, meanwhile, climbed further to the highest this month with a measure, when measured against its major peers, and the Japanese yen is currently at levels again that spurred Japanese authorities to defend the currency in September. Also, the British pound is under pressure again versus its major peers, with UK bonds slumping. Inflation-linked debt was the worst hit yesterday, with a yield on 10-year inflation-linked bonds rising 64 basis points to 124. That was more than double the size of the move in plain vanilla debt and a record in data going back to 1992. Investors seemingly dumped UK assets once again on concerns about the new government's fiscal policies, traders commented. While there's plenty of nervousness in equities, bonds and currencies, gold is still not able to profit. An ounce of the yellow metal is currently for sale just around 1,660 US dollars. And Bitcoin is around 19,000 US dollars this morning, down about 1% since yesterday. In overnight data, Australia's consumer confidence fell further in October and is hovering around historic lows as the country's central bank's sharpest interest rate hikes in a generation take their toll on households. However, Australian business conditions improved in September as firms reported stronger trading, which suggests that companies fare better than their clients. Uh, stocks in Asia are generally under pressure, with uh, Japan leading the decliners down more than 2.5% on the day. However, closely followed by Hong Kong, where the markets are still open and trade down by almost 2%. Chinese onshore markets, meanwhile, are about even. In terms of data, we already had the UK employment report this morning, which came in roughly as expected. The ILO unemployment rate is at 3.5%. 
there and earnings came in a bit higher than expected at 6%. Later on today, uh, we'll have industrial production data out of Italy. And finally, according to the future boards, European stocks are set to follow Asian and US equities lower this morning amid the persisting concerns over the interest rate hikes and geopolitical tensions. This is all on the Markets Wrap today. And now, I'm pleased to hand over to David Cole, Chief Economist, on the most recent US labor market report. Thank you very much, David. The floor is yours. Good morning, everybody. This week, we will see the all-important inflation report. We have seen last week uh, an employment report, a job report from the US, which uh, showed actually quite, quite a lot of strengths, uh, despite uh, less jobs being created, but it beat uh, market expectations. And this is the measure how markets rates this job market reports. Jobs had been created, the unemployment rate fell. So all these cornerstones show you that uh, uh, the labor market is one key support uh, for the U.S. economy and, of course, supports and helps uh, that the U.S. economy can weather the current headwinds, uh, which come from tighter financial conditions, higher inflation rates, which weigh on, uh, which weigh on real disposable incomes. Uh, so all these factors are counted by a quite solid labor market. We think overall... This has increased the probability that a soft landing is possible. And of course, here the wild card is how will the uh, Fed uh, react to this labor market report? The general uh, interpretation so far is uh, that the Fed has to do more uh, because of the strong labor market. We deviate from that. Uh, why we deviate? Because we've seen also in the labor market uh, some signs below the headline numbers uh, that here uh, the tightness is rolling over. So the maximum tightness we have reached um, with uh, lots of uh, job openings, uh, this is passed behind us. We had now seen four months of less job openings. And also the most recent reading has seen actually some layoffs, in particularly in industry, which had been booming post-corona, post-pandemic. So here, less tightness is a welcome invitation or opens up the possibility for the Fed to slow really its pace of rate hikes. We still have further weeks to go uh, until this will be decided at the beginning of uh, November. We still think a slowdown of pace of rate hikes is possible. Our central scenario, of course, uh, with an upside uh, risk is still uh, that the Fed will do 50 basis points uh, and the labor market really with all this uh, inside information um, at least opens up the possibility. What has um, been Another reaction uh, to the labor market report, and this uh, we take more seriously, and as we account also in our, our new projections, uh, is uh, that actually the strong economy is also reflected in higher bond yields. Um, Mike has just outlined that there are further uh, increased uh, this morning. And we think that, uh, yes, the strong economy uh, justifies also higher bond yields. We revise our three months, our 12 months forecast higher around 30 basis points, around 15 basis points. Nevertheless, we still think that at, from this level of 4%, there's priced in lots of rate hikes uh, uh, for the Fed. Too much rate hikes, uh, according to our taste. And as we have seen, or as we have heard, uh, a bit less hawkish comments now from the Fed. We think this uh, will continue. And at the end, uh, this will hang very much on the uh, inflation data point, which we expect uh, this week if this can really confirm that both labor market tightness, uh, but also inflation has rolled over. Uh, when this is confirmed, we think the possibility uh, of slowing down the pace of rate hikes of the Fed is real, and we continue to stick to our view. That's all from my side. 
Back to you. And thank you very much, David. And we close off today's podcast with Sophie Altermatt from Macro and Next Generation Research on the upcoming 20th National Congress of the Chinese Communist Party. Good morning, Sophie. The floor is yours. Thank you very much, Roman, and good morning, everyone. Yeah, you mentioned it. The Party Congress of the Chinese Communist Party is set to kick off on October 16th, so on the upcoming Sunday. The Party Congress is one of the most important political events in China. It happens twice in a decade, and it is highly anticipated because it determines China's most senior leadership for the next five years. The meeting lasts for about a week, with more than 2,000 party delegates attending. So what happens there and what does it mean in terms of politics and policy? Well, the Party Congress formally approves the membership of the Central Committee, which then elects the party's top-level leadership. This happens at its first gathering the day after the Congress ends, so in about two weeks from today. Now, how exactly people are selected for leadership positions is highly opaque. It's more or less a black box because of its highly informal nature. But what is nearly certain is Xi Jinping's continuation in power. He is widely expected to secure his third term as general secretary of the party and president of China. Anything else would be a huge political shock. And the other personnel selections into top leadership positions could serve as a gauge for the extent of Xi's power. You know, if and how many of his protégés and people close to him are elected into important positions. Now, turning towards policy, this is probably what investors are most interested in. Um, so what are the implications for policy? Um, well, first of all, the Party Congress is not a policymaking body, so it will not announce any new policy measures. In general, she will continue to have the final say in all major decisions, especially regarding choices on strategy and overall policy direction. So the selection of the leadership officials will have relatively limited effect on top-level decision-making on policy. Medium-term objectives and priorities are therefore unlikely to change drastically. At the same time, major policy U-turns in terms of fiscal or monetary easing or the property sector following the Congress are not likely either. However, after personnel changes are settled, focus of policymakers will likely turn to policy again. So there might be some fine tuning or adjustment, but easing will likely remain rather cautious and moderate. And the same holds for the zero COVID strategy. There is no case for zero COVID to be completely scrapped because the underlying conditions have not changed. People, and especially the elderly, are not sufficiently vaccinated. There are no own mRNA vaccines available, and China cannot handle large outbreaks in cities with lots of people getting sick. So this is still a big risk. So overall, there might be some relaxation, but the full elimination of zero COVID is unlikely. So basically, the main message for the Party Congress is do not expect major policy shifts. That's all from my side on China for today. With that, back to you, Roman. Thank you very much, Sophie. Well, with that, we conclude today's episode of the Moving Markets podcast. Thank you very much to our speakers and thank you all for tuning in. We do hope that you'll join us again soon. I wish you all a good day ahead. Bye for now. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. 
please refer to www.juliasbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further other important legal information. What will the cities of the future look like? What kind of vehicles will fill our streets? Think Tank is a monthly podcast where Julius Bear experts look further ahead into the future. We aim to capture the world's biggest longer-term themes and put them into context for investors. Search for Think Tank on your favourite podcast player.